Uh, how's everybody doing for this Sunday morning, August 1st? Fantastic. Uh, well, first of all, I, just, uh, I want to thank uh, Pastor Ricky for inviting me to come and uh, speak. Um, it's, just, it's very humbling, and I'm very excited to be here, and I really appreciate him immensely, he and Carissa. And I don't know if Carissa's in here right now or not. I think she might be with the children. Uh, she's kids. Okay, fantastic. But I want to uh, spend a minute here. Since they're not in here, I'm going to talk about them. How about that? We'll talk behind their back. Uh, just what a wonderful couple they are and how much they really care for the church and just what they do for us and how they lead, and, and their heart goes into this. And I also got here a little bit earlier this morning, and I got to hear some of the people that came in and were praying early over the church. Folks, if you're here for the first time, once you understand you're in a powerful church. This church really cares about people. Amen to that. This church is powerful. People care about people, and we're really growing. And it was just phenomenal to hear people pray over the church. A lot of you don't even know they were praying over you, but they were before you even got here today. Um, so with that, I'm going to go ahead and jump into my message, and I'm going to try to stick to my notes so I stay on time. So we can go ahead and <laughs> get an amen to that. Huh? Fantastic. Uh, what's funny is I was preparing for today. Um, I was looking back over the last year, and uh, things definitely weren't going as we all had planned last year at this time. Uh, we were dealing with COVID and kind of a new way of life. And uh, for me last year, uh, many of you don't know it, some do. I was also diagnosed with stage four cancer at this time last year. Um, that being said, you'll see me grab some water in between the talks because I'm still healing up some things. So just bear with me. Um, and uh, it's, it's interesting, too, because uh, I found myself in the, midst of, uh, in the midst of my treatments. It was actually this time last year. I was just starting to wrap it up. And my treatment process, it was, uh, was time-consuming, and it was arduous. It was very difficult. But through the goodness of God and all glory to Him, I have survived, and I am cancer-free as of December. So praise God. And I know many of you also have overcome some things with cancer, and, and you're doing well also. God, God's phenomenal, and He is so good to us. And I'm extremely thankful, I'm sorry, extremely thankful, and I just wanted to share some things that I learned while facing cancer. Uh, and also, it made me, uh, it made me think, you know, how do we respond when things aren't going the way we want? Because that's definitely not something I wanted to deal with. And I know COVID isn't the things you all wanted to deal with. And we're kind of in that position that we're dealing with something we want to deal with. How can we really trust that God's good? How can we trust in God's goodness? So the title of my two-part talk, I'll talk today and next week also, uh, is The Goodness of God. The title of the talk is The Goodness of God. And there are three points I'm going to cover, and I just want to mention those up front. I want to talk uh, today about how do we respond when God doesn't reply the way we want. How do we respond when God doesn't reply the way we want? And then next week, I'm going to cover parts two and three. And that part two is, is there a purpose in the pain? And three, how does community factor into the situation? So as I was preparing uh, for today's sermon, I was looking over some several journal entries from last year. And it made me think of a previous sermon that Pastor Ricky preached uh, months ago when he asked us to write things out about what God had done for us. He asked us to write things down so that we could remember how good God was to all of us to write out some of our struggles God had brought us through, maybe some of the prayers that we prayed, and just how thankful we are for God's goodness. And then in the Rebuild series he just preached, Nehemiah actually did that in his book, if you think about it. He wrote out dates, things that occurred, trials and victories, and so that way people could look back and see what they had gone through and what they could learn from it. And if you haven't started journaling, I'd encourage you to start picking up the discipline because it's going to serve you and your families. And I want to strongly encourage you to consider this. First, it helps, you, it helps to remind us what God's done for us in the past. And it's going to undergird your faith in time of need. 
When things aren't going the way you want, you can look back at what God's done for you. It should aid our response when things don't go as planned. Because we can always remember, if God's done it before, he can do it again. He's that good to us. And when we do pass away, as we will, our journals will remain for future generations. Your kids will have those things. How many of us would like to have had journals from our parents? Absolutely, I would love to have had them. I'd love to see what our parents were dealing with, some of the struggles that they faced. How were they responding to adversity? You know, how good had God been to them in their life? You know, what were they thinking about at the time when things were going on? What were they thinking about when they were dealing with us and raising us? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I know my mom needed a lot of prayer during that time to raise me. Some of you aren't laughing, so I think... Uh... <laughs> you know, I'm just curious to see what my parents were really praying for. You know, what were the secret desires of their hearts. I'd love to have known that. And my grandfather and I were pretty close, and I'd love to have had a journal from him. I'd love to find out what it was like when he, uh, when he had his family and started his business. I'd like to have read what it was like when he was diagnosed with cancer, what he was struggling with, when he, sang, when he succumbed to the illness. What was he praying for? What was he thankful for? This made me really think, you know, how do we even be thankful when bad things are happening? How are we thankful when bad things are happening and not going the way we want? You know, what's our response when those situations persist and the word just doesn't appear to work? Well, let me share some things with you that I learned as I went through this cancer experience and hope it'll help you. As I mentioned, this time last year, I was in the midst of my treatments, and I had to go through radiation and chemo. And with each radiation treatment, I'd find myself flat on my back. Has anybody ever been through radiation before? A couple. Okay. I've been through a few of you. I've been through, a, when I was going through, it was for my neck area. So I'd find myself flat on my back, pinned down to a board with screws in it. And this medieval-looking device is what would hold me down. And this device was originally a, a thick of sheet mesh that had been warmed in, in a liquid solution and then pressed to my face to take the form of my face. And let me show you what it looks like. So this is what I had to endure. And here's the screws I talked about. You might ask me, why did I keep this? Why did I keep this mask? If it's something that was so difficult, why did I keep it? Well, how many of you ever kept trophies? Why do you keep a trophy? It's just something that represents a victory to you. It's something you can look back on. It's to remind you of God's goodness. Without God, I couldn't have made it through that situation. The same reason, if you think about it, David kept Goliath's armor in his tent. He could look at it and see what God had done in the past. It allowed him the opportunity to gain encouragement for his future endeavors by reliving his past successes. And that's what a lot of things are there for us to do, for our imagination. Past successes are to help us envision future endeavors. I kept this mask because it represented a great victory. It was a victory only through God's grace. It wasn't anything that I did. It was through God's grace. And I can only point to him. But anytime I look at this thing, I can now look at it and encourage myself onward. Because if he did it for me before, he can do it again. It reminds me of what I was able to endure. Not in my power again, but through God's goodness. See, each treatment session, this mesh was pressed into my flesh. And it left such indentations on my skin. It literally looked like I was a lizard when they took it off of me. I looked in the mirror once and I had so many little marks on my face, I looked like I was a lizard. It was so tightly screwed to the board that my eyes were forced shut and my nose was depressed and it offered no range of movement. Now, how many of you are claustrophobic in here? <laughs> you loved it. 
It absolutely loved it. This mask gripped so tightly to my jaw, it forced my mouth shut and impeded my breathing. It was an extremely stress- stressful moment. However, there is, there is the goodness to God. The staff, they would put on Christian music in the background for me to just help calm me and relax me as I was going through this process, and I appreciated them doing that. And it was funny, as they left the room, I could still hear the music, but then I'd hear the large lead door locked shut. Has anybody ever watched Star Trek? And when those doors shut and open, <laughs> the sound was incredible. It was like a sci-fi movie. And then there was a brief pause. And I could just hear the uh, nozzles that were going to emit, emit the radiation as they would slowly rotate and click into position. And it felt like they were only centimeters from my face. And then there was a pause that seemed to be for eternity before the machine started to hum. And after a few seconds of humming, the radiation beam would be activated, and it focused a specific portion of my neck. You can't really feel the beam. I don't want you to feel like it was like, oh my gosh, I couldn't really feel the beam, but it would start to get warmer the longer it went. But it did remind me, has anybody ever burned ants with a magnifying glass? (laughs) That's what it was reminding me was happening. The beam seemed to last forever, but it was really only 30 seconds. And this happened... The, the nozzles would move eight times. I'd be, I would be uh, radiated eight times per each uh, treatment course. As this was going on, I was praying, and I just was hoping to get out of there. And I ended up having to endure this for five consecutive days for seven weeks for a total of 35 treatments. It was arduous. It was, it was very difficult. And I didn't really notice any the first week. However, by the second week, I started noticing that my mouth was getting dry and food started tasting differently. And as the treatments progressed, I completely lost my taste. My salivary, salivary glands were shut down. And lesions and sores appeared in my throat. Have you ever had blisters on the outside of your skin? That's what was inside my throat. Towards the last two weeks, I was no longer able to even eat solid food. It was even difficult to swallow any smoothies. There was one point for a whole week I hardly swallowed anything. I could barely even open my jaws to speak. And as the treatments progressed... The pain, it was the worst thing I've ever felt or ever experienced. And then you add seven weeks of chemo on top of it. I mean, the side effects at this point were including nausea, physical exhaustion, and even um, anxiety and agitation. I want to share a picture with you if you have it, Eric. This is when I started my treatment course. So this is the very first day that I had chemo. Just want to kind of give you an impression of what it was like and kind of how the situation uh, played out. Now, what's interesting is I go through the process, your body really starts to protect itself. And my protection mechanism, my body produced, is a a very thick phlegm in my throat. And this phlegm was so thick, I would actually choke in my sleep. I ended up having to sleep in our middle TV room because I would choke in the middle of the night and I'd wake up every hour. I had a fight just to pull it up so I wouldn't choke. My body was trying so hard just to expel this that I had even dry heaves on top of the nausea. So that pain was so tremendous in my throat and with burns, those burns and sores in my mouth. This was, a, this was a, a strenuous endeavor. However, I would thank God for getting me through it each episode. And I thank him for keeping me, keep getting me through it. He was so good to me again and again. And I knew each time that he would take care of me. God is just so good. And then speaking of the chemo, during those seven weeks I was receiving chemo, I'd also have to go daily to, to the IVs to hit go daily to the location to have IV fluids just to ensure my kidneys were protected. And Eric, if you have the second picture, I want to share, this is the room that I would go to receive our chemo and radiation. And there's a lot of chairs in there, and these would usually be filled with a lot of people. Many were older than myself. 
And it did give me a chance to pray for folks while I was in there. But that's what the rooms looked like if you just kind of were curious. Due to the intensity of the chemo, they prefer to administrate the medicine, administer the medicine through a port instead of your vein because the chemo can really destroy the veins in your arms. So I had to go ahead and have a uh, port put in and then endure being pierced in my chest five days a week. And here's, here's a funny story, though. Has anybody ever had a port put in before? What's the, what's, so you have to go to surgery. You have to go under. You're in surgery to have the port put in. What's the worst nightmare you have during surgery? Waking up, whoever said that, waking up. I woke up during the surgery. Yeah, I'm laying there feeling the doctor tug on my chest as I wake up. And I'm laying there going, oh my gosh, I'm awake. I'm feeling the tug on me. What do I do? Do you sit up and freak the doctor out? What do you do? So I just sat there real quietly and thought to myself, well, it's not hurting. I'll just sit here for a minute. And if it hurts, I'll yell. And then I heard them say, Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones. I thought, okay, it's time to, it's time to wake up. But you talk about being scared. Now, after my last treatment, I had lost about 30 pounds, and I was so weak and lost so much muscle and balance. Has, has anybody ever just, like, fallen down, and it's like slow motion when you fall? Has anybody ever experienced? Okay, I would, like, tip over in slow motion. I would watch myself just tip, because I had no balance, and I just would end up the wall catching me. It's just, it's just an odd thing to have happen to you. It made me actually think I could really relate to the way the Israelites were feeling as they were rebuilding the temple, how it just looked like it was all rubble. That's how I felt. I felt like I was in rubble. And Eric, if you have the last picture. This is at the very end of the treatments. It was a couple weeks after. It was my daughter Olivia's birthday. But you can see where I lost about 30 pounds and the color of my skin and things of that nature. It was, it was a rough thing we went through. Now, I also had to continue with the IVs for 12 weeks. And this continued until I could start eating normally. And again, my normal isn't what normal used to be. Matter of fact, my medical oncologist had warned me, very from the beginning, he said, we're going to take you to a point that you're going to be crawling, and you're going to be flat on your face, you're going to be broken, and then we'll build you up. How's that sound for a, a prognosis or, or direction for <laughs> treatment? It, I didn't truly appreciate the intensity of what he was describing, so in my prideful male selfness, you know, men, how you can be, oh, that's not going to be bad, doc. I can handle it. I got this thing taken care of. How naive was I? How naive was I? Have you ever said that to God before? I got this, God. I can handle it. Use me, God, as you need me. You ever cry out to God that way? Only to be driven to your knees, worn out and weakened, shaken to your core, and you want to quit? Funny how we think we can just do everything in our own power, even when we give mouth service to, with God, all things are possible, brother. With God, all things are possible. We have no clue to the extent of what we're going to have to experience. We have no idea. But it reminds me sometimes what the Israelites were doing in Nehemiah when they were rebuilding the wall. They thought they could do it on their own. They thought they could do it in their own strength, only to get halfway into it, and they were tired, wore out. I felt the same way halfway into my treatments. Uh, during this period, people just thought, you know, it was a good time for me to rest and heal up. But we've got to realize that people go through treatments differently. I wasn't able to rest comfortably. I was also given steroids to aid my inflammation, and they had me feeling really anxious. Also, they can affect, the treatments can affect the uh, serotonin and dopamine levels. It can bring on a depression, like a lack of motivation and memory loss. 
And as the treatments progress, your moods really change. You feel as if this is all there is, that you're never going to be able to function normally again. There's just so many negative emotions that hit. You just, it's, it's compounded with the lack of nutrition, lack of sleep, anxiety. And then you throw COVID on top of it, and we were having some job issues at the time also. I wasn't fully able to rest. I mean, your emotions, it, it's like, if anybody ever rode Space Mountain? It's, it's like being on Space Mountain in the dark with the twists and turns. You feel like you could go off the rails at any moment. It's just an emotional journey. And not only was your emotions affected, but physically, you're just exhausted. You have a brief period of energy, but it just disappears quickly. And on top of this, your body ex experiences extreme colds. I don't know how many blankets I put on myself, and I still couldn't get warm, even during the summer here in Florida. And I share this with you because this experience will take you to a place that you've never been before. And it's going to take all you have and then some. And I believe this is where Satan attacked me the most. Just, in the book, just like in the book of Nehemiah, when the Israelites were tormented by their opposition as they were rebuilding the wall, Satan tries to mess with us also. They were teased, mocked, and threatened. They, and I, believe me, I felt like I could relate to them. I sensed that Satan was trying to keep me down. and still a sense of hope that I might, may have had, any sense of it. And if Satan can steal our hope, folks, he can weaken our faith. And without faith, great things can't be accomplished with God. With a weakened faith, great things can't be accomplished for God. That's why beating cancer, I believe, is a spiritual battle. I found that I needed God to get me through this. Some people feel they can will it, and maybe they can. I don't know. I knew I needed God. Have you ever been to the point that you knew only God could see you through? Have you ever been to that point? Amen. See, cancer treatment affects not only cancer treatment, cancer and treatment affects not only your body, but there's that mind and emotional component also. While your body's being stripped away, your mind and emotions are also affected. And you just get to the point that you have to find something to hope in. And it's the, it challenges your faith. I never felt so far from God and not motivated to spend time with him. I had to force myself to try and read my Bible. I could not remember anything, and it was so frustrating. Where in the past I'd find comfort in the Word, there was nothingness. No comfort, no peace. It was the worst feeling in the world. It was even worse than going through the treatments. You just aren't yourself. And through this period of nothingness, I somehow would still muster up just to thank you to God for getting me through this. Somehow I would say it. But I'll be up front with you. I don't think I had much faith in it. I think I just was saying it. Now, I also challenged God. You know, where was he? If I had to go through this, why wasn't I at peace with it? Why wasn't I able to spend intimate time with him right now? And at times, I felt abandoned. I felt like I had to go through this myself, and it was anxiety-causing. I mean, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been dealing with anything that you felt those same things? Now, as down as I was, my response to the affliction was to just keep repeating scriptures. In those brief moments when I did feel motivated, I would speak them. I wrote down several and would say them, but to be fair, I was going through the motions most of the time. I wish they would prompt some type of a good feeling, but it often nothing happened. And I would find myself just doubting and complaining. However, Michelle, thankfully my wife, she'd remind me, it didn't matter what I was feeling. My spirit still heard the words and the words work. And I'll tell you, ladies, if you haven't met my wife, Michelle, yet, I'd encourage you to make sure you meet her maybe today or next week and, and spend a little time with her because when you need somebody that can speak the word into you, she does it. 
she does it with me. She told me, no, it wasn't about my feelings or my cognition. I would read something out loud, and then I'd immediately forget it. The chemo fog was, I just couldn't, I couldn't remember what I was reading. But like she told me, my spirit still heard it. Just keep reading it. What I did notice, though, and this is important, much of what I did recall were scriptures that I had previously, previously memorized when I was healthy. I was so thankful for the time that I spent in the Word when I was healthy before the challenge. And I'm here to implore you. I'm, I'm imploring you, please spend time in the Word now while you can, before you need it. Before something comes up so you have a storehouse to pull from. Because something will come up. It does arise. Things will arise. We're tempted to think so often, oh, that's not going to happen to me. I got everything under control. I, I watch what I eat. I'm healthy. You know, I, I plan for the future. I don't smoke. I'm not an alcoholic, etc. That's the greatest illusion there is, the illusion of control. Those are things I thought until they didn't really work anymore. I didn't have control. They make, re, make you reevaluate your thought process. Now, additionally, on top of all this, in my health, on top of the health and costs associated with the treatments, other, tr- other, other challenges came along the way also. Just because we had this going on doesn't mean the other things weren't happening also. It's just like the, the Israelites in the book of Nehemiah, that they were building the wall and focused on that. They still had a lot of stuff going on in life. As I mentioned in a previous talk I had given, some of the issues that we ran into... A month just as I got diagnosed, a month before treatment started, we had two AC units go out, and the builder hadn't even warranted them. Our saltwater system in our pool went out. One of our pets needed surgery. And the chemo fog had left the sprinklers on for over a month at nighttime, not even knowing it. Nice, nice water bill. Uh, they loved me a lot that month. Uh, a TV goes out, so we had to replace it. A three-and-a-half-year-old dishwasher went out, so we had to replace it. On top of that, our upstairs toilet overflowed and flooded the bathroom. And Michelle, as she's trying to hurry and take care of the mess, slips and breaks her big toe. And I'm not laughing at her, just the scenario was so bizarre. So she breaks her big toe. Then we had two of our girls that needed physical therapy at the time, and one needed some dental work. I mean, all these things were going on outside of our cancer treatments. And then on top of that, I got a new PCP, and he was looking at some of the moles that I had on my body. And he decided to do a biopsy, and they came back with abnormalities. So I had to rush into his office. Think what was going through my mind at that point as I was going already through the cancer treatments, and now this with the moles. There was a lot going on. And lastly, it was our 25th anniversary, which we didn't get to even do anything for that either. So as you can understand, my brother-in-law, as sharp as he is, my brother-in-law Troy asked me, did you feel like Job? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Now, I'm not comparing myself to Job. He suffered far worse than what I did, but I do appreciate him better. See, all these things were happening during this time, and it was over $25,000 that we needed to pay in addition to our medical treatments. And I laugh now, as you can see me smiling as I'm saying this to you, because I wasn't smiling at the point it was happening. But however, God is good, and there's always good news with God. During this time, we continued to give our tithes and offerings. Now, I'm going to be fair with you all. I'm very transparent. There were times I didn't feel like doing it. I didn't know what I was doing. I was wondering what we were doing looking at the bills. But I held on to a commitment that we made 25 years ago, and we continued to honor God with anything that he would give to us. And through this situation, even though it looked bleak, God still provided. We stuck with it, and here's the good news. As I looked over the last few, as I looked over a few things last year, I realized last year was the most financially 
prosperous year we had ever had. The most financially prosperous year we ever had in one of the most turmoil-ridden uh, times we had. God is just so good to us. I'm so thankful for that. He not only supplied what we needed, but we had plenty left over to increase our giving. Now, it didn't happen immediately. I know some people, sometimes people start to tithe and things don't happen and they start to doubt and wonder. It didn't happen immediately, but it was over the course of the year it occurred. And he enabled us. God enabled us to increase our giving during the storm. And you talk about a time of gratefulness, and I almost missed it because I was focused on the wrong things. It's important to focus on the right things. Sometimes it is difficult to remember just how good God is when we're in the midst of these trials. When we're hurting, confused, wore out, emotionally drained, and it doesn't appear that the word's working, or even if God hears us. However, I do want to tell you, God is good, and he's faithful to do what he says. This, says, this said, it does lead me to, the, to, to my uh, talk, the three points in my talk. And today I'm only going to cover part one. Now, what is our response when God doesn't reply the way we want? What's our response when God doesn't reply the way we want? And at times, when we do what the Word says, and it doesn't appear to work, what's our response? When things aren't going the way you want, how do you respond? Let's look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he prayed and fasted for several days, and he asked God to help Jerusalem, but nothing appeared to happen. How do we respond when we pray, and it doesn't seem to work? It took Nehemiah roughly 120 days to get an answer. 120 days. How many months is that? Four, four months. Would you wait four months for your answer? What do you think went through his mind while he was waiting? Have you ever noticed that we tend to want the answer today or tomorrow? Or we want it pretty quick when we pray. Is that fair to say? Can you all be up front? Okay, great. You're always truthful. How can you be transparent? <laughs> That's a better way to say it. You know, but what do we do? What do we do when it takes time for God to move? What do we do when it takes time for God to move? It says in the book of James, James 5, 14, as Eric puts it up, are any of you sick? You should call for elders of the church to come and pray for you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. We did this with Pastor Ricky. If some of you remember a video uh, last year, my family was getting baptized in our home, in our own pool. I had actually been diagnosed with cancer at that time. But through the goodness of God, we were able to see our children and some family members be baptized in our home. But what you didn't see on the video, what wasn't recorded, is after it was over, Pastor Ricky asked for some oil so that he could anoint me. Everyone in the room laid their hands on me and they prayed. After the prayer was over, though, I wasn't healed. Why was I not healed immediately? Why did the Lord make me, why did the Lord not make me well at that moment? We did exactly what the Word said. We did exactly what the Word said, but I wasn't healed at that moment. I think this is a crucial time for believers. Have any of you ever been there before? Okay, good. Thanks, John. I guess you and I will have a good conversation today. <laughs> good. I think it's a really crucial time for believers. When we do what the Word says and it doesn't appear to work, what happens? See, it said for the elders, if, if the elders anointed you and prayed, you would be well. But I still had the physical manifestation of the cancer. Does this mean that I didn't have enough faith? Does this mean I didn't believe enough? 
that God didn't love me or he abandoned me. I mean, have you ever felt this way though? Absolutely. We all have gone through this. And it's always when you're in that trial, those questions will come up. How do we respond when things don't go, don't happen as fast as we want them to? How do we respond when things don't happen as fast as we want? Some will start to doubt their faith at this point and may start to pull away from God thinking the word doesn't work or there's just something wrong with them or God doesn't care for them. If that sounds like your past, listen, I can relate, but there's some good news I want to share with you. See, I was healed when Pastor Ricky laid his hands on me, but sometimes it has to, have, it has to be walked out first. I was healed when he laid his hands on me, but sometimes it has to be walked out. What do I mean? Do y'all remember the, uh, the story of the 10 lepers? The 10 lepers in, uh, in the book of Luke? I'm going to read it here. Luke 17, 11 through 14. As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, so we find Jesus walking towards Jerusalem. He reaches the border between Galilee and Samaria. So he's kind of on the, on the territory line between the Jewish community and, to, and the Samarit- Samaritans. As he entered a village there, so obviously there's people gathered around him, Ten leopards stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, and as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. What's interesting to me is Jesus gave them a command to follow, but they weren't healed immediately as so many others had been healed by Jesus. Often when we read the word, Jesus' healings are immediately. This one didn't occur immediately. The physical manifestation did not appear until they had started walking. Now, I appreciate this story because it's, it's different from a lot of healings that Jesus performed in the past. So let's examine the scriptures real quick. First, we see them crying out to Jesus from a distance. Crying out is defined as making a loud sound because of pain, fear, or surprise. Let me ask you, have you ever felt distance from God while you were going through something and you were crying out? I know I have. What was Jesus' initial response to them? He just looked at them. They got his attention. Remember, he's in a crowd of people, but they got his attention because they cried out. These men were distanced from Jesus and unclean, but he still looked at them. Don't you think we get Jesus' attention when we cry out? Absolutely. See, those lepers didn't even know who Jesus was. They didn't know Jesus as well as we do. Now, what's interesting to me is what's next is he tells them, go show yourself to the priest. Go show yourself to the priest. But he never says you're healed. He never once said to them, you're healed. Do you realize the faith it took for them just to go? If they weren't healed, they would be cast out if they got to the priest and even killed. But they were so desperate So they acted upon what Jesus said. In the scripture, it didn't say how far they had to walk before they were healed even. See, did they get their healing just a few steps? Or was it over a mile? If it took a long while, were they excited with anticipation? We're going to be healed. Something great's happened. We're going to be cleansed. Or did they start to fear or dread or doubt creep in the further they went? I mean, has this ever happened to you? You were bleeding for something and so excited and anticipated something because you know you heard from God and you were walking for a little while, but the longer it took, doubt started to creep in. If it didn't happen as they got closer to the priest, were they just tempted to quit? 
just to stop short of that one more step, to stop short of that one more step that might have been the step that made the difference, where they tempted to quit. I remember a story when I was little, I was playing football. Here's a story when I was, I was little, I was playing peewee football, and I was second string, and I would go to all the practices and go to all the games, but I never got into the game. Really, I wasn't that good. It just wasn't enough people. That's why I was second string. But anyway, the, the starter, one weekend, I decided I wasn't going to go because I was tired. I said, I'm done. I told my mom I quit. Well, that weekend, the starter didn't show up. I would have played. They had a different kid come in, and he got an interception. That interception would have been mine. But I quit. I quit along the way. We don't even know what their conversation was like as they walked. As they were walking amongst themselves, what were they saying? Think about what's our conversation like when things don't happen as fast as we want them to be. Also, did they get healed at the same time, or was it one by one? Think of us. If one of us got healed, if 10 of us were walking, and one of us got healed before the others, but we all were walking together, would we be excited for them, or would we be questioning? What, wasn't it, what, what about us, God? What didn't I do right? Why was it them and not me, God? What didn't we do? What are we supposed to do? Does that sound familiar? A lot of questions and speculation we could pull through the passage. However, my big takeaway is this. They were healed as they walked. They were healed as they walked. Who's to say how far we have to walk to receive our miracle? Like how many steps per miracle? Damon, you might be believing for a financial miracle. Okay, that's 15 steps. John, you might be believing for a healing. That's 30 steps. You know, who's to say how many steps? You don't know how many steps it's going to take to walk out your miracle. Even to just go forward towards the priest without that immediate healing took faith to take that first step. Could it be that I received my healing at the moment Pastor Ricky laid his hands on me? However, I was going to have to walk it out to have it manifested. You see the end results. We know the answer. But think about that. You don't know that when it's happening. The scripture in James didn't say that they would be healed immediately when the elder prayed for and laid the hands on them, but that they would be healed. See, sometimes it may not appear God's word is working, but it is. It's constantly working. Folks, he's so good to us. There are many times in our life when it doesn't seem that God hears you, but he does. So what do you do when it doesn't appear that the word is working? What are you going to do? You did everything you could do. What are you going to do? You're going to keep stepping. You're going to keep stepping. You're going to stick with it. Look at the lepers. It took faith for them to take that first step. But if they weren't healed then, they had to keep walking. What does that mean for us? And how are we to walk it out? We need to keep stepping. We start and then we keep stepping. And let me give you an illustration. Let's walk with, the, let's walk with those, uh, the lepers as they start to walk. Jesus has already given them instructions. Go show yourself to the priests. So they start stepping. They're walking. But at some point, they probably get a little tired and they're like, oh God, I'm tired. Well, what's our response? Our response is, those that wait upon the Lord will have their strength renewed. And we keep stepping. We keep stepping. Oh, but God, I don't see anything happening. We walk by faith and not by sight. We keep stepping. We keep going. Oh, but Lord, Lord, are you sure this is going to work? Hey, faith comes by hearing and not by the word. Not, faith comes by hearing and not, faith, faith comes by hearing, hear by the word of God. We keep stepping. 
But God, the bills are piling up. I don't know if I can keep going. My God meets all my needs according to his riches and glory Christ Jesus. We keep stepping, folks. We keep stepping. But God, I don't know if I can do this. Greater is he that is in me than he's in the world. We keep stepping. We keep going forward. Our response is to keep stepping and stick with it. Our response is to keep confessing what the Bible says and believe. We just keep stepping. We persevere. And here's why. James 5.11, and this is good news. As you know, we, considered, we consider blessed those who persevered. It's a blessing to persevere. I hope you get excited about that. We considered blessed those who persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and joy. I just want to encourage you. I want you to stick with the word and you keep stepping. When things are not going as you want, keep stepping. You persevere. For the Lord is full of mercy and compassion. God loves you and he wants the best for you. Even if you can't see it right now at this moment, he loves you and he's, he wants the best for you. I really hope that you see me standing here and you just see an example of what, can, of what God can do if you just persevere. If you just stick with it and keep stepping. No, things didn't happen as quickly as I wanted. I had, a, I, had a, I had to wait for my healing. There were numerous times I wanted to quit, but I kept stepping. Sometimes, really, I just was crawling. My wife and family can attest to that. But what I did find out, the word did work, and it was in God's time. He is so good to us. I cannot express to you enough of how good God is, even when it doesn't seem like it. What occurred is the finally came from the passage above about finally, Job's perseverance, and it finally came. My, feel, my healing finally came. It manifested itself. The finally showed. And when the word doesn't appear to be working, and you think you're at the end of the rope, what are you going to do? You're going you're to tie a knot at the end of that rope, and you're going to hold on to that thing, and you're going to stick with it. Do you hear me? You got it? You increase your reading. Open up that Bible. Spend a little more time with God. Go in the prayer closet that Pastor Ricky mentioned. Start journaling so you can see what God is doing for you. So continue to undergird your faith. Continue to worship. Associate as much as possible. Get around other people in the church. There's something powerful about when we get around other people. You got to draw closer to God. And you tighten your grip. And just realize, as you're going through this stuff, God loves you, he is good, and he has a plan for you. And it reminds me of this time. I'm going to wrap up this last story here. Andrews, if you want to even come up. Um, I, always, I always have to laugh at this point. When Pastor Ricky invites Andrews up, and, and I always picture Jesus as he's wrapping up a sermon here on the mount. He says, hey, Peter, get up on a, get up on a guitar. Hey, Andrew, get over here on the piano, man. We're, we're going to have an altar call. <laughs> I just picture him saying that. But anyway, it reminds me, this story just reminds me, uh, this reminds me of, of last time I was on a wakeboard. Sorry, the first time I was on a wakeboard. See, the driver knew where he was going as he was taking me, and I just was holding on. And I'm from West Virginia. I don't wakeboard a whole lot up in the mountains. So it was kind of cool to be able to, to wakeboard. So I didn't really know what I was doing, but I just held on to the rope, as he said. Now, it was challenging, and it was bumpy, and I was, I was tired, man. I was sore. I couldn't see where I was going because the water was flying into my face. Has anybody ever wakeboard before? 
Yeah, a lot of you do get the water in your face. It's, t- it's tough to see. And I remember one point that he made a really super sharp turn. That it almost threw me. But I tightened my grip, man. I held onto that thing as tight as I could to the point that I thought my hands were going to turn color. But it was interesting, too. Even though he looked like he was going to throw me, he kept it at a speed that it didn't throw me off. I was still able to hang on. But I was wondering in the back of my mind, why did he take that sharp turn? Was he really trying to throw me off? And once we finally got to our destination, the place where he was taking us, I challenged him. I asked him, I said, look, were you trying to throw me off back there? What's up with that? He said, no, no. What you didn't see, there was a log floating in your path. There was a log floating in your path. It could have severely wrecked you and harmed you if I'd have let you hit it. That's how our God works. He can see what's up ahead, things that we can't see. Sometimes we have the water in our face. Our responsibility is just to hold on. Even when he makes a sharp turn and you can't understand it and you think he's trying to throw you off, he's still moving at a pace that you can hold on. Our responsibility is to tighten that grip. I hope you got something out of that. Thank you. He has good, good things planned for us all. I just want you to realize that. He's so good to us. He has good, nothing but good in store for you. And he always moves at a speed that just pulls us through properly. We are going to grow from it. I did get stronger from, the, from, from riding that uh, wakeboard. You have to. It works your muscles. Going through some struggles works your faith. Sometimes we might even question or challenge God. However, our responsibility is to keep tightening our grip. We're just to hold on to that word as long as it takes. We persevere. We keep stepping. We hold on. Amen? Now that said, have any of you ever been struggling with something for a while? If you have, I just want to encourage you today. Know that God does hear you. He's not abandoned you. He loves you dearly. If he didn't, he wouldn't have sacrificed his son for you. He loves you that much. He is that good to us. Just continue to draw close to him. And he's going to draw close to you. Seek him first above all things. What you're going through right now, it might not feel good. I know a lot of you are struggling. Everybody's struggling with something and it might not feel good. But I want to encourage you to keep stepping. Your answer might just be in that next step. Don't quit. Take the next step. And remember what Jesus said. We're only to believe. Just believe in God's goodness. He is so good to us. And here's what I'll wrap up with. And even if you don't get the answer you wanted, you will have a better relationship with the Lord. You'll be closer to God. And that's the greatest reward in itself, to be closer to God. And realize this. He might have a better plan in store for you. He might have a better plan in store for you than what you wanted. And that's what I'm going to discuss next week as I conclude. Everybody coming back next week to hear the rest? I I didn't blow any of you out? Good. I guess Pastor Rick will let me come back then. All right, so I'm going to land here. And I really want to pray for those that are just, you know, you kind of feel like you're in the rope. You're struggling with some things right now. You've been burdened with some things. You've been applying the word, but it doesn't seem like it's working. And you're crying out to God. You feel distant. Listen, I've been there before. And, and some of you, you know, as you're going through this, I want you to realize it's okay. God loves you, and he's got good in, good in store for you. I just want to encourage you to keep stepping. So if you bow your heads, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for the time we have.
had today, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray that people are just encouraged today, Lord, that they seek after you. And Lord, whatever they have going on in their life, Lord, give them clarity, give them wisdom, give them understanding on what to do, the path to take, Lord, and draw them close to you, Father God. Lord, let them revel in the fact that in knowing that you have nothing but goodness in store for them, God, that you love them, that you're strengthening them, you're making them stronger, Lord. You have greater things in their life for them, Lord, that you're preparing them for, Lord, leadership opportunities, people to touch hands to lay on to people. There's so many things that are going to occur from people in this church, Lord. And I thank you, Father. I just pray that they feel encouraged in their spirit that they seek after you. Lord, thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.